Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting this live show every week, bringing on my favorite guests. For the most part, every now and then I bring on somebody to argue with. Uh, But whoever it is, the conversation is designed to help you get out of the mainstream box and take a look at those aspects of reality that the powers that be don't really want you to notice and certainly don't want you to consider things from the angles that we consider them here on Truth Jihad Radio. Tonight's show has, in the second hour, Jeff Brown making his return. It's been, I think, a couple of years since Jeff has been on the show. He was famously on on my birthday, February 9th, uh, in 2020, just after COVID had hit China, to say that China was a bio-war on, rather, COVID was a bio-war on China. And that story then developed and grew legs. Ron Unz wrote a whole book about it. Uh, I've been arguing that that case is quite convincing. And so Jeff really broke that story. Now, my first hour guest, Alan Sabrowski, is also famous for breaking controversial stories. He came on my radio show in 2010 and said, they did it. I have had long conversations over the past two weeks with contacts at the U.S. Army War College and the Marine Corps headquarters, and I've made it absolutely clear in both cases that it is 100% certain that 9-11 was a Mossad operation. And, of course, the alternative media went bananas over that. Even Alex Jones covered it favorably. That's the last time Alex ever said anything nice about me or anything that bad about Israel. Oh, well. Anyway, Alan Sabrowski is a hardcore truth teller and also a strategically sophisticated, savvy uh, thinker. And so we're re- pleased to have him on not only tonight, but he's going to be doing the first Fridays of the month on Truth Jihad Radio from now on. So if you want to hear some great live analysis from Doc Sabrowski, tune in to this show every Friday evening here in Morocco, 6 to 8 p.m. Morocco time, which is also France time, which would make it 12 uh, noon uh, is when we start Eastern time, which is where Alan is. All right, let's do it. The first ever Alan Sabrowski, first Friday on Jersey Head Radio. Hey, welcome, Alan. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I should tell you that after your introduction, when you mentioned Alex Jones, your your voice started breaking up here. Ha, well, Alex must be uh, working with the NSA. (laughs) (laughs) Probably something like that. Good to be here, and I still love that picture of the, the cap and have to wonder about its affiliation with you, but nonetheless. Right. You're, you you're talking about the cat, the you know, Muse the cat, the feline cat, who's the mascot of my work, not Cat McGuire, who actually... Ah, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. I forgot about that. Yes, yes. The, that cat also is very good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're, uh, you're, you're a cat person, actually, more a, a, a kitty cat person, not a Cat McGuire person, uh, although you like Cat McGuire's commentary, too. I do very much on that side of it. I'm very, very addicted to kitty cats without any question at all. Uh, very good to be here, Kevin. This is the first of the, the monthly shows, and I'm very glad to be able to do it. Uh, for those listening who aren't aware of it, um, I'm dealing with um, a very severe case of glaucoma. 
there seems to be some stabilization and a very slight improvement in recent months, uh, but I'm completely blind in one eye and I have to have to conserve my strength in how I do do writing. And so I'm going to be doing more speaking than writing in the months ahead. And you gave me this opportunity and I really appreciate it. So thank you very much for that. Well, I appreciate uh, it at least as much. It's such a privilege to have you on. And with the transcription tools available today, you know, we can turn some of your speech into writing. I've, I'm trying them right now. Uh, for anyone listening who is also having vision problems, the best commercial program that I've encountered and I'm beginning to work with it is called Dragon Speaking Naturally. Uh, it's sophisticated, very sophisticated. But I also understand that Windows 11 has something very similar to it built into Windows 11. doesn't require any any additional purchases or anything else. And I'm going to try that. And over the next four to six months, I'm going to begin practicing with both of them. And whichever one seems to be more useful, I'm going to do and just simply give the keyboard and mouse away to someone else so I can't be tempted to, to uh, go back to it. Okay. Uh, well, I will uh, I will pray for uh, as much uh, miraculous healing as possible to turn your eyes around and get them working better. And that has happened to some people. I, like uh, my uh, um, a friend, uh, uh, let's just say, has had his vision uh, greatly improve uh, after uh, glaucoma and some surgery and things like that. One one thing that ha- that that I I just heard about uh, in the past couple of months, an individual I met in Michigan when I went there last spring to, which is my hometown, Lansing, Michigan, uh, to do an invited talk, uh, actually had been having a similar problem, and there were some ophthalmologists there that were able effectively to clean the lens because he had had. He had had a lens replacement, as I had had. Uh, in 2006, he had had it done several, quite a few years later. But he mentioned that these artificial lens get murky over time. And I'm going to have an ophthalmologist check that and see if anything can be done on my side, because they cleaned it, and he came back and said, I can see, which cool. is really interesting. I'll keep you updated on that, because... You might be able to pass that information on to people who need it. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. And, hey, everybody, uh, keep take, take good care of your health. Uh, get the uh, the fish oil. Uh, in fact, you recommended that a while back, Alan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I did. Yeah, nutrition and exercise can help stave this kind of stuff off as long as possible. That's why, uh, uh, Alan, you're, you're still uh, sharp and doing great work at your – uh, well, you call me a young whippersnapper, so that means you have a pretty advanced <laughs> age on that. I'm 82. 82, I'm 82. okay. Right. So, yeah, we, we need to uh, keep uh, the, the truth tellers telling the truth as long as possible. So, Alan, where where do we start in talking about how the world has yeah. just keeps going crazier all the time? Um, if I could if I could start on this, you know, I'm I had started. With my own work and the things that will feed into into your program, all of them will feed into your program. Uh, I had started a couple of years ago, actually about a year and a half ago, to do what I thought was going to be a series of, of three articles on uh, basically on the America's Endgame. And the first one went out, and then I got distracted into 
sort of secondary articles. And also I realized that the other articles were going to be about 20,000 words a piece and absolutely no one would read them. Uh, they were going to be big enough anyway. Uh, and of course, then there was there was a delay because of my vision and some injuries, some shoulder injuries that came home to roost. So I couldn't even use a mouse or keyboard for about three months. But the next I've got three articles that are coming out in starting in about two weeks at one week intervals. The first one is called the culling fields. And it's a take on the killing fields in, in Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge. And it's, and it's an attempt to look at why so many, not necessarily warlike, strong countries, uh, as different as, as Germany and Ireland and the United States, have effectively caved with barely a whimper to, to the, the woke dementia enfolding them because they didn't all have the same experience. Ireland wasn't in either world war. It had strong and different movements in the Roman Catholic Church and the IRA. And it now has a homosexual Hindu as its prime minister. It has one of the largest migration rates in, in Europe. You know, that's serious intersectionality, and isn't it? it? It's it's very much of that. And and both the, the and when there's the same amount of migrant violence that there is in so many countries, a lot of it from sub-Saharan Africa, not North Africa or the Middle East. And both the Catholic Church and the IRA say nothing. Germany, you can understand it was lost 10 percent of its population in World War II. Half of its civilians had something between six and eight million women raped by Soviet American or French colonial troops at the end of the war was was partitioned, occupied, lost most of its territory. The process of denazification was actually a process of de-Germanification, and they were effectively stripped of, of anything that that resembled the type of a of a Prussian or German heritage that they had. And you could sort of understand them, but not Ireland. But then there's the United States, which was on the winning side in both world wars, had, I'm going to say, minuscule casualties. And I don't mean that to to diminish the the impact of the loss of those who did die. But we had about 300,000 people from a large population killed in World War Two. Germany had 10 to 12 million. Russia had even more, had over 20 million and ended up on the winning side. But totally different experiences. Yet one and all have caved to this woke dimension. They're they're all woke. One Winners, and the losers, and the neutrals. Yeah, that, and that's really interesting. So I've been looking at that, and I think I found an explanation. I'm not really sure it's an answer, but that's good. I'm going to explore that completely in the first article. The second one looks at Germany, and it's basically calling for a repartition of Germany that the eastern part of Germany, the eastern states, the ones that were communist states, like the former communist regimes, most of them in Eastern Europe and Russia, are absolutely not going along with the woke agenda. They simply are not, whereas the West, western Germany is on overdrive on this. And if there's going to be anything saved of Germany, um, maybe the two piece, pieces of it need to re-separate. There, there was a nasty incident uh, I think within the past week, 
went up at the trial. Um, a female judge presided over the trial of eight migrants, and I don't know where they were from, who gang raped a 15 year old German girl, and she turned them loose without any punishment. And there was a, a really interesting meme which showed the two Germanys, and there was a wall called East Germany, and they were rebuilding with the bricks on the wall to put in a wall between them. Well, I'm actually going to explore that. What would it take? And, and is it a good idea? Um, and the third one is the final one of that America's Endgame, you know, and it's basically looks at, I think, where we could have gone in 2020 and where I believe it is now too late for us to go in 2024, which is going to be a replay of 2020 from the left side. Um, and it's basically called ruthless or ruined. You know, what did America's endgame mean? And we should have been ruthless and instead we've been ruined. There might be a chance to save something of it. Um, I think we can salvage something of the United States, something of what was the United States that uh, I served and loved and still love for at least for its ideals, if not for its reality. And it's not going to be all of the United States. It, one of the classic axioms in, in military tactics and strategy is that if you try and defend everything, you end up defending nothing. Basically, you spread yourself too thin and you, you lose the whole thing. Um, and so there can be something saved of it, but it's going to be less than it is right now geographically. And it's going to be very different. And uh, after that one, I'm going to try and find some place to hide. Uh, perhaps you and your cousins could find a place for me in Morocco where I could be herding camels or whatever you do with camels over there. <laughs> well, you know, I actually, I actually have seen a couple of camels here, believe it or not. The first year I spent in Morocco, I didn't really see camels. And, uh, you know, we used to tease my American friends and family that uh, we would tell them that my wife – used to ride camels to school when she was a little girl in Morocco and they all believed it. And of course she went, she was, she actually had a more urban modern upbringing than I did even back <laughs> in the seventies. So anyway, uh, well, in, spe in speaking of sort of stereotypical thought, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, 80, 90% with you on a lot of what you said, Ellen. However, I'm, uh, when there is like, okay, one, there's one case of rape in Germany by migrants and there's there's also in Ireland recently, there was a big incident around a stabbing by some crazy person who apparently immigrated from Afghanistan 20 years ago or something. And then there's also, of course, we hear about all of these uh, mo mostly or com I think completely bogus rape allegations against Hamas on October 7th. And then, of course, we also heard in the United States in 2016 from Trump that the you know more the border invasion was bringing all kinds of horrible rapists and killers now honestly alan uh well you know we could go through all this point by point but uh, yeah i think all of this stuff has been grossly exaggerated uh there's an article by J my friend john ravuski about the muslim rape army coming to get you uh discussing how stories of alleged mass rapes in cologne on new year's eve many years ago were completely bogus or at least 90 percent plus bogus that a lot, obviously the Hamas rape stories are bogus. Uh, the Hispanic uh, 
immigrants, both documented and undocumented, actually have about the same crime rate as uh, indigenous Americans. So there's no rising crime rate from any illegal or legal immigration in the U.S. And these other incidents are mostly anecdotal things, one-offs. There's no huge, massive crime problem going on anywhere in any of these places. And this bullshit about European cities having no-go zones is complete bullshit. And I've challenged all of these people that, you know, tell me where the no-go, no-go zone is. I'll, I'll go there and I will like call you from there but, and then, you know, you owe me a thousand bucks. And if, if oh, I can't yeah. go there, I'll pay you a thousand bucks. So well, I, I, I think I, that stuff's I, all been I, grossly exaggerated and it's very racist well, and disgusting actually. Well, first of all, I agree with you on the Hamas, but that's, that sort of thing is carried off in every war. You know, they had, uh, the British had the propaganda about uh, German soldiers marching through Belgium with Belgian babies on their bayonets. And that, of course, was the same sort of thing that you'd, you'd find in, in, in most wars. Um, when you say indigenous Americans, you might, you might want to think which indigenous Americans. Um, by the FBI crime statistics, which is not allegations, uh, roughly 33, 34 percent of rapes are, performed, are conducted by black males in virtually all interracial rape black males, that the crime rate is very different for, for whites. For Asians, it's almost non-existent. For, actually, for Muslims, it's almost non-existent in this country. For whites, it's extremely low. For Hispanics, it's a little higher than whites, but very low compared to blacks. The big thing about, about the migrants coming over the border, the both borders, now they're coming through the Canadian border, they have migrants from Central America, Sub-Saharan Africa, principally those two coming into New England and some of the more northern states from Canada, which is really interesting. I didn't know they could swim from Central Africa or Central America to there. Yeah, that's a long swim. But I, but I, but I, think, I think you're, you're really misinterpreting the European situation. And I'm saying that on the basis of having had some fairly lengthy conversations with people in only three of the countries, Sweden, Austria, and Germany. Um, in Sweden, a police report I saw not a month ago had something like 80% of the crime, not just rape, but the crime over the last 10 years, particularly from 2015 on, when the big surge in migrants came in, are by non Swedes. That's not that's not a joke. Uh, the government's it's still very low. The, the government, the governments completely deny it. All of the governments deny it. Right, but this, this but, crime rate in Sweden is, them, very, is very low overall. It's not a high crime society. So yeah, you're right. It's sweet. Native Swedes commit almost no crimes at all, and then the immigrants create, commit a few crimes. Crime is not a very big problem in Sweden. I think the I think the the difficulty that but when you say that show me an area where I would go, you're a Muslim male. You wouldn't have a problem. You wouldn't have a problem. Well, I can't the, tell I'm Muslim of, by looking of, at one me. Of the th- one of the things that happened in, in Europe, um, and I've tried to find out what happened to them. In 2017, there was a group of about two dozen young women, mostly from Germany, um, a few from Austria and Switzerland. And they had the, or the name of their group was hashtag 120DB. And that was the decibel, the sound of the personal alarms that European women were carrying, started to carry. Uh, 
you might not be afraid of them. I might not be afraid of them, them being the migrants, but they're afraid of them. And so they, they thought that this worked out, that they had to carry some type of protection. And they, there was a real good video, and I'll send it to you uh, when the show ends, that, that they put out. They called themselves the Daughters of Europe, Die Tochter Europa. The, the video is in German, but with English subtitles. And they, were, they were going gangbusters. They confronted Merkel personally in Berlin. They were brought to Hyde Park for a presentation. They were attacked as Nazis because they dared to speak for women, which Me Too and the feminist groups, other feminist groups in the world were not. And then they disappeared. I, the only thing that I can find out is that around 2019, two of them by name were arrested by German police and charged with one of those uniquely German crimes called inciting the population, which is a combination of sedition and insurrection. They've all disappeared. Their website is gone. Their movement is gone. All people are gone. Everyone I've asked who's in Europe, in Paris, in Berlin, in Zurich, in Vienna, in Rome, to try and find them, if you give me any information on them, says there's nothing. They disappeared, completely disappeared. They had a very powerful message, and it was a message the governments didn't want them to get out. Well, maybe they're in the same prison with uh, Alfred Schaefer, who's back in for I, questioning the Holocaust. I think that they were... I would I would hope, you know, the good news is that if they are there, they're not able to speak out and Schaefer and others can speak out slowly and carefully and they can get visitors occasionally. Um, I expect they're either dead or somewhere where they cannot speak or receive visitors. Okay, I mean, so it was just it was just there. It was just enough. That was it was a message that was very powerful. And when you see it, you will understand it. And it was the, now in every case that I can think of, I mean, where, where there was something described as a crisis, uh, unless it's the Titanic where the captain said, perhaps we shouldn't take on any more water. Uh, there's usually a level of exaggeration that accompanies publication or publicization of it. That, that's a given fact. It just happens in life. But something, something was, was happening with the message that these two dozen odd young women were putting out that it was felt necessary to completely erase them and any reference to them and any note of their organization. Can't find it on any search engine that you go on that's more recent than 2019, that one article in 2019 for their 2019 or 2020 for their arrest. And that's it. Well, I mean, you can imagine why the German government might have done that, uh, given that Governments have an interest in trying to prevent ethnic strife in their countries. Uh, there's, you know, some very draconian uh, efforts to you know, to stop ethnic strife in all kinds of countries, including non-Western ones that are totally non-woke. Uh, mm -hmm. But in this case, if you agree that these countries uh, are experiencing way too much immigration, uh, then yeah, I can see why you see that as. Uh, as bad. Yeah, from my viewpoint, Alan, I mean, I've lived in different, you know, high crime, I lived in very high crime places when I was in the Bay Area. 
Uh, I lived right on the edge of Oakland, uh, where Emeryville meets Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 I lived in the black neighborhoods while they were still black in San Francisco. That takes us back a few decades. <laughs> the Fillmore. <laughs> I, I was in the Fillmore. I was, I was living in a vehicle on the street parked in the Fillmore. And I have a friend, a, actually a, a black sheep Jewish friend, who still, last I heard, was living in the remaining black, quote-unquote, ghettos of San Francisco, Hunter's Point. There's just a little bit of Hunter's Point that even still qualifies. And that, and he's been forced into that area because it's the only place he can get away with living in his vehicle on the street in the city of San Francisco. Uh, although San Francisco seems to encourage homeless people in, in other areas. So long story short, like I've lived in the high-crime places. I've lived in the medium to low-crime places in America. And then I look at the crime rates where I've lived. And then I look at the crime rates in Europe. And I look at the crime rates here in Morocco, and honestly, uh, Morocco is a lot safer than the United States, regardless of what people, you know, people stereotypes about, you know, Arab countries, third world and things like that, and Moroccan immigrants in Europe, yada, yada, yada. No, I'm, I'm way safer here than anywhere I ever lived in the United States. And the crime rates in Europe, despite the kind of alarmism that, you know, we people might get from what you've been saying are still way lower than anywhere where I've lived. So yeah, I mean, crime is a problem. It's not good if if governments and people want to just crush the worst criminals and scare the heck out of them, deport them and whatever you want to do to the really bad criminals, it's okay with me. Uh, But I think that when we argue against immigration, we should argue using rather than emotionally evocative uh, anecdotes about these horrible, horrible, nasty crimes of these brown people. Uh, I don't like that argument. Or the argument I like is that, hey, uh, what what sane society is going to radically change its demographics and not expect to have horrible problems? Um, this is terrible for working class people that uh, these low wage people are coming. People are going to beat you and you know, undercut your wages are coming in. It's, it you know, ruins uh, the wage structure for anybody who's working in almost any field. Even Silicon Valley programmers are undercut by people coming in from India. So it's bad for working people and it's bad for the environment that we, you know, the, the lower the population uh, to resources ratio, the better off the country is in terms of having a nice, easy uh, place to live and to enjoy nature and such. So there are all sorts of good arguments against uh, too much immigration, including preserving traditional cultures. I don't think harping on these lurid tales of rapes and crime where it's just not that true is a good way to argue. Well, just saying it's not true doesn't make it untrue, but I think that the very clear difference that we're talking about is there is there is a a great chasm between measured legal immigration and mass illegal migration, which is what the Biden administration is pushing here, which is what the governments in many Western European countries, but not Eastern European countries, have done in and to Europe. Uh, We are the descendants of immigrants to this country. Going back to my grandparents and great grandparents, uh, they were peasants. The, the most the most skilled member of them, I think, was a blacksmith. But they all came to this country looking for opportunities to work and to to get ahead. Even the Biden administration acknowledges that over 50 percent of the new quote unquote migrants coming in that they can that they know of or that they profess to know of uh, are coming here for welfare. They're not coming here for opportunity. They're coming here for welfare. And I think that's what the European countries have also found. And whether the crime stats 
are being highlighted rather than saying we are not going to provide public assistance for fill in the blank can be something that we can debate on reasonably. I think that that's a good case that governments don't like to say we're not generous to people who need help. But these aren't refugees. Most of them are coming from countries where there was no ethnic strife. They have, they're recruited by NGOs to come. They don't walk in convoys, for example, to get away from Europe. They don't walk in convoys from Guatemala to the United States wearing flip-flops with no cover. They're transported here with a few women and children, almost 90% are males. They're transported here with a few women and children to put up front for photo ops, and they march when it's necessary for a photo op or as they approach the American border. If you can walk with flip-flops and no protection, just the clothes on your back and a, and a knapsack from Guatemala to the American border and survive, I'll give you the $1,000 without any, any question. So, so who's behind this? Who's <laughs> providing the funding for this? Um, the, the three major NGOs in the United States and the two in Europe uh, are said to be funded principally by the Soros empire. You know, George Soros recently handed it over of the ownership of his, uh, his corporations to one of his sons. I doubt that he has the money to do it. Even if he were doing it, I mean, there's no return on that. You're not getting a financial return on funding this. I would expect he is the front or the, the Soros, I don't want to use the term financial empire, I don't know what else I would call it, conglomerate, is probably a front for a very large number of other people of, of similar wealth who have the agenda of flipping red areas blue in the United States. And that's where they seem to be going. Here in central Mississippi, and I live in an area in a, in a black majority neighborhood, in a black majority city that has a higher crime rate than Atlanta. So I'm very familiar with living <laughs> in the difficult areas. But they, there, are, there are people you will see in stores, now large numbers of them, speaking Spanish, speaking various African dialects, that you did not see five years ago. And, the, and it, it fits what I've seen of the migration patterns within the United States. You get this huge surge coming through Texas, smaller ones through Arizona, New Mexico, and California. And then when it comes to Texas, not that many stay there. It's like watching, looking a fan going out of going through other states and other areas. They're showing up in the Dakotas, in Michigan. I ran into Guatemalans, clearly Mayan ancestry, speaking a dialect of Spanish that I could barely understand. I don't speak Spanish well, but I understand it quite well. In Western Pennsylvania, when I was up there last spring and this, and this last fall, I mean, this wasn't there five years ago. So they're going into other areas and they're being seated in other areas. There was a video by a local television station in, I think it's Westchester County, New York. It's where White Plains is. You might, is, you know, White Plains, if it's something other than Westchester County, I think it's Westchester. Their local airport had flights blocked 
between 2 or 2.30 and 5 in the morning, except for emergency. And a farmer went to one of the county executives, I don't know what what you call county commissioners in New York, and said, look, there's a lot of planes landing there. I'm getting up early in the morning and there are planes going overhead at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. So this county executive uh, or county commissioner, whatever his title was, went to the airport with uh, a television crew from one of the local affiliates. And there was here was an unmarked plane landing. And it, I mean, it had no insignia on it at all, no American Airlines, nothing on the, on the fuselage or wings of the plane, no number on its tail, no registration number on its tail, which I thought was really intriguing. Hispanics got off it. There were buses waiting for them and they were filming this. Now, that's not even close to the Mexican border. You know, you would think it would have been a, a long walk otherwise. And on, on camera, this, this fellow, was, this county, county official, was, was filming this. And a police car, a sheriff's car pulled up. And a deputy sheriff, a couple of deputy sheriffs got out. And they said, we've been asked by someone on the bus who gave us proper identification to remove you because you're harassing them. And the executive asked the deputy sheriff on camera, who were they? And the deputy sheriff said, they're from Homeland Security. So you have Homeland Security on an unmarked plane landing in or near White Plains, New York, with a plane load of quote unquote migrants, buses waiting to pick them, take them who knows where. That's the sort of thing that's happening. Now, these people are not refugees fleeing the country for their lives. These are not refugees. There's something else. And where there's something else is, I think anyone should be concerned. Yeah. Uh, and yes, and Morocco, I'm, Morocco, I'm quite sure, is a lot safer than, than many places in the United States. And in fact, Kevin, I do Windows, as in Microsoft Windows, and I do Windows, as in those on the house. And perhaps you could give an old man a job. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because my windows are actually rattling right now and they were leaking a little bit as the rain was being blasted by this high wind against my windows. So maybe we'll have to bring you over here to fix the windows. But uh, I do. you don't have to do any computer windows because I'm on a Mac. But, but Alan, uh, <laughs> you know, I had Peter Myers on the show a while back promoting his new book, The Cosmopolitan Empire. And he argues that there are four New World Order world government conspiracies going on and one of them and maybe the most powerful one is the one he identifies with the sort of liberal zionists uh, the rothschilds the economist magazine george soros etc etc and that one is sort of neo-trotskyist or at least it uses uh, some trotskyist thugs like antifa and so on as its shock troops and that group basically wants to get rid of traditional nation states and replace them with a one world government. And to do that, they're going after the building blocks of society in those states. They're trying to bust, you know, break families. They're trying to, uh, to break religion. And then they're trying to break the nation. And one way to go after the nation is to bring in, you know, people from all over the place, mix them together. And, and, you know, that would explain this 
you know, extreme push by dubious, very, very well-funded forces to uh, have these huge levels of illegal immigration radically changing demographic patterns. I saw that Ireland may actually be majority non-Irish by 2030, which strikes me yep. as an Irish American is a little extreme. And, and so do you, do you think that, that, uh, that Peter is on the right track with this uh, New World Order conspiracy theory? And also, he, he thinks that there's a Jewish element to this. Obviously, the, you know, Rothschild, Soros, et cetera, happen to be ethnically Jewish. These liberal globalist Jews, uh, may be motivated by, uh, Jewish messianic millenarianism and the traditional war on all the other tribes and nations that the Jews have, you know, they call them the Goyim and believe that, uh, the Messiah will come to establish paradise on earth by subjugating all of the Goyim. So by destroying all the nations, the non-Jewish nations, while the Jewish nation is the last one standing, that's uh, one approach to creating one world government. Uh, to what extent is Peter onto something? Except for the for the New World Order part, um, I've never been entirely comfortable with that because there's there's several different interpretations of it. Well, there's at least four that you mentioned. Um, I think he's very close to it. Uh, it would require an incredible degree of ruthlessness. Uh, considering what the Israelis are doing to Hamas, what are doing to Gaza, the population in Gaza, uh, it's an indication that they're they're not what we would call a squeamish people. They're having more luck uh, beating up on the people of Gaza than they are beating Hamas. Yeah, you know, I got, you know, one of the that's one of the things that that one of the subjects I I picked from your list of topics that that I think we want to get to, but I just, just in passing. Um, I think it's very clear that however the war started and whatever the Israelis intended, they certainly have bitten off more than they could chew. Uh, they used to they used to count their wars as they cause them. They call them wars, but their their uh, police actions would be closer, I guess, against the people in Gaza in, in terms of days. You know, we're going into the fourth month now. And they're asking for help. So clearly this has turned out to be something different than they expected. Uh, they'll probably get help from the United States. There was a, there was a video. And this again touches back on Sweden, but it, it also applies to other countries. Uh, it, you probably have seen it by Barbara Spector. She's a, is a Jewish American who went to Israel for a number of years. I think it was 10 years. And then went to Sweden and picked up one of the the leadership of, of one of these these groups facilitating migrants coming into Sweden when it was the accepted policy of the Swedish government to take anyone who came in. Um, and she she has a very explicit statement. She said that that for this is for Europe that you know Europe is undergoing a transformation and. Jews are going to be in the forefront of it. And there's going to be a lot of hatred of Jews because of this. And I think that's reasonable. You know, if you decide to destroy a people's culture and identity, they, they probably will hate you. And they feel the same way. I would think in, if Morocco was suddenly being overrun by, uh, by uh, millions of migrants from Central and Southern Africa, there would probably be a certain unhappiness of, from the there are enough migrants from sub-Saharan Africa in Morocco uh, oh, I to, know that. to bother some Moroccans. 
I, I, I know that there are some, and I was really curious about how that was going. But I mean, they're making, they're, they're not concealing it in the slightest. You know, the, the Secretary of Homeland Security here is Jewish, and he's very clearly facilitating this, as is the Attorney General, who is clearly facilitating this. You find that they're very much the same thing is happening in a lot of European companies, but it's not so much, well, actually, there is a fair amount of it in the government, but it's more in the financial and media conglomerates behind that. So I think that that Peter is on very much on the track of something here. What I don't know for sure is whether this is a coordinated effort or if it's something where so many of those people want to do this that they're on a parallel path or parallel paths in different different parts of the world whether they think that's going to give them this new world order that they that they want slightly dubious about that um, you know means are often distracting and but they can be suggested too and i saw one meme of a very large individual leaning over a very small individual the large one is labeled china the small one is labeled israel and china is saying to israel i'm just like you only bigger hmm. uh, how is china just like israel i mean china has been no, around that, that was, yeah. That, that, that they, well, China believes, if I understand their, their tradition, uh, that they are the middle kingdom between heaven and earth, that they are the favored people. There was a Chinese woman, many, more than 40 years ago, told me that about a folk story in China. Uh, she was from Canton province. And she said, you know, that that the gods or God, I can never remember whether they're monotheistic or polytheistic or they got multiple religions in any case. But that tried to make tried to make humanity and baked it in, the, in a celestial oven. And the first time it baked too long and the, the God threw it away. And that was Africa. And the second time. The God baited too too short a time and threw it away, and that was the Europeans. And the third time, it baked it just right and got it just right, and that was China. China on the, China is a very disciplined society. It's it's really doing some extremely interesting things. Uh, I don't think Mao Zedong would recognize it any more than Ho Chi Minh would recognize Vietnam. I, I read the Vietnam Daily, an English language paper out of out of Hanoi, and they're talking about stock market prices. And I think that Ho Chi Minh would look and say, what? What do you mean stock markets? <laughs> you know, what are you doing these capitalist things for? And Mao Zedong would probably say the same thing about China. But I think the point is that if um, if it is true that Jews feel that they are the chosen people, and that the rest of us are beasts in human form made to serve them. That the Chinese might have a similar view, but there are a hell of a lot more of them and they're a hell of a lot more powerful. And I think that was the point of the meme. So it's going to be really, I, 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 I found it interesting too. You know, I, I think 
the only good news for me is that at 82, I likely won't be around to see either one of these two world orders come around, but you might. Oh, boy. Well, you know, <laughs> my, my Malaysian Muslim friends do uh, call the Chinese the Jews of Asia because the Chinese yeah, yeah. diasporas do very well in business and end up being disproportionately powerful in societies like Malaysia and Indonesia. So maybe there's well, something fact, to what you're saying. Well, you know, well, in fact, both Malaya and India were, were British, were British provinces, you know, province of their empire. And when the British determined that independence would be given, they partitioned both of them. You know, we know that of India, that it, Partitioned initially into four parts, India, as it was, West Pakistan, or Pakistan, which is West and East Pakistan, East now being Bangladesh, and Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka, and Malaya split into Malaysia, the Muslim part of it on the mainland, and Singapore. And that, 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 was, a, that was very deliberate. Uh, the partition was relatively easy in the case of Malaya because there was a fairly heavy concentration of Chinese in Singapore. In any case, uh, India, I've heard from both Muslims and Hindus that at least 7 to 10 million people died in 47, 48, probably more. So that was that was not peaceful at all. That's one of the things that comes with it. Anyway, any of the topics that you want to cover that we still have time for? Sure, or sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's second up. Well, well, let's segue from what you were just saying about uh, the Israeli situation and how yeah, China is certainly bigger. I don't think they're exactly like Israel, but they're certainly bigger and more likely to be in charge of the world. I think these uh, Israelis have delusions of grandeur that will not be matched by their achievements, but. Uh, do you think that how close do you think they are to losing? In False Flag Weekly News this week, we talked about uh, the Economist calling for Netanyahu's head on a platter, uh, Israel pulling about a lot of troops out of Gaza, and the <coughs> Israeli Supreme Court striking down Bibi's uh, judicial overhaul law, the U.S. bringing its carrier back from the Mediterranean, this is Gerald R. Ford. So all of these seem to be indications of Israel possibly facing some form of defeat. Would you agree? I don't. I don't think it's defeat, except in the sense that the uh, that the illusion of Israeli invincibility has been has been shattered. Um, the the Israelis. I'm not sure quite how to put this. Uh, the Israelis have sort of used Gaza as a live fire testing area every few years. You know, in fact, that was how I got into talking about these things and, and talking to you the first time in 2010. Uh, I was struck by Operation Cast Lead, December 2008 to January 2009, and particularly by the way the Israelis started it with a uh, surprise air attack on a graduating class of Palestinian police cadets and their families, killed, killed or wounded several hundred of them. Uh, but they've used it sort of as a live fire testing area. You know, what new weapons do we have? How how do they perform? They get a little resistance. They take a few casualties, but you know, it wasn't significant. This is significant, not just what they lost on the first day, but what happened in the what's happened in the entire war. And more than that, that it's gone on for three months. I think the Israelis are very determined 
to reach a final solution to the Palestinian question. And that they have both the way they have treated Gaza, you know, complete cutoff of food, water, electricity, medical supplies, everything, that they're getting their ground troops somewhat away from Gaza and they're going to continue to hit it with air strikes and missiles. They've uh, they've killed a few hundred people on the West Bank, which is not as far as I can know one of the one of the uh, strongholds of Gaza of the of Hamas or or linked to Gaza in any way. And I think they're preparing that too. If if they're going to do this, the Israeli the Israeli political spectrum with a few exceptions, is one of those things that goes from far right to extreme right. And there's not much else beyond that. And this is particularly those political movements where the settlers are involved. I expect that their plan, and they're going to have American support on it, how can they not? Half the American government, half of the American administration, both Biden and Trump's before it, you know, is, is dual Israeli citizens. Um, as a, all of it into the Sinai and leave it for the, for the Egyptians to deal with one way or the other. They've already talked about, a number of their parliamentarians have already talked about relocating the, the settlers who were in Gaza and were removed, putting them back in place with IDF units, that they're going to do the same thing to the people in the Palestinians in the West Bank and East Jerusalem over the Jordan. Jordan can't stop them. I don't. The only the only question that I and and they can then they can get rid of their walls and just have the entire West Bank and East Jerusalem for themselves. Uh, the only thing that I can't be sure of is what they're going to do with and to the Arab citizens of Israel, those who hold Israeli passports. Are they going to leave them within Israel? I don't see how they can. Will they push them into Lebanon, into Syria? I have no idea. But I, I suspect if there's, given the, what I'm reading in the English language Israeli newspapers, and particularly in the, in the letters and comments, if that's any indication of the political sentiment within Israel, Netanyahu or not, I mean, there are no moderate candidates who can take the prime ministership. You got a question between how, which which right wing politician you're going to get, and their right wing makes our right wing look liberal. Is what they're going to do with the Arab citizens of Israel? That's the question that I don't have an answer to, but I suspect. Well, Alan, uh, let, let me di- respectfully disagree. I, I'm. Uh pretty sure that there's absolutely no way that Israel can displace or kill the 7.5 million people in historic Palestine. So far, they've killed 1% at most of the people of Gaza, and none of those people are going to leave, and there is no way that Egypt's going to allow them into Egypt. And all of the established Authorities in the United States, in Europe, in China, in Russia, and of course, not to mention the Islamic world, uh, are, have that red line that, as far as I can tell, the American red line, 
to that they've the riot act they've read to Israel is uh, no expulsions and no wider war. Now Netanyahu knows that he can't possibly carry out this kind of these such expulsions unless there is a huge war with many millions dead in the region. And then he could do it under the fog of war. So Netanyahu wants the wider regional war in order to have a chance. Uh, I, I still don't think he would get all those expulsions, but he could get quite a, he could get a significant uh, portion of the Palestinian population forced out if there were war that killed millions or tens of millions. So Netanyahu is shooting for that wider war, but all of the relevant players in the world um, are say that's a red line. No, you're not going to do that. That's why the Gerald Ford just went home. Uh, Read the Economist. I mean, yep. you know, these the, they're ultra Zionists. I mean, they're you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the New York Times, you know, all all of all of the real power centers in the world uh, have laid down the law and said there will not I be just, any wider I, war I and there will not Kevin, be any mass expulsions. I, I understand so, that. You think Netanyahu uh, can defeat them? How long do you think that Gaza can survive without food, water, electricity, and medicine? You're uh, right. How long do you think? That's a very, that's an open question. But before before those people before those people will leave or be allowed to leave, the uh, all of the power centers of the world well, will it, force Russia, Israel Russia to basically surrender because it's it's enmeshed in Ukraine. It's got its own uh, tar baby. Um, not, 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 I, I can. Well, if, the, if, if you, Russia, the U.S. and Europe, if, U.S. is the main power center. If Israel decided to push this, as many of its parliamentarians and some of its cabinet ministers have already argued that they want to do and that they should do for their own future and their own how they view Israel as a country, whether they're right or wrong doesn't really matter. Of course they want to. Of course they want to. Any of them, any of these countries being willing to use military force against Israel. And regardless of the numbers involved, I mean, you know, the, the Israelis, as long as I can remember from the late 1960s, when I first started looking at the Middle East, um, would always talk about uh, an island of Jews and a sea of Arabs, which is, you know, sort of an extension of the, the South African, but we, that we were an island of whites and a sea of blacks. Um, but it was never numbers. Uh, it was Israeli nuclear weapons. But that was the determining factor and why why no one else will use military force against Israel, because all of these Arab countries, all of the countries in the Muslim world, uh, except for Pakistan, no nukes. And I don't see Pakistan being involved in this. I sincerely hope you're right. I mean, I believe me, this is this is one of these cases, you know, all of us like to be correct all of the time. But none of us is. And I certainly hope that I'm wrong on this. Uh, That would be one of the very few things. One thing I am am certain of is that whatever the Israeli intention, they seriously miscalculated. They have painted themselves into a they, they seriously miscalculated in terms of the length of the war and the degree of resistance that Hamas would put up in the same way that Russia miscalculated the length of its war with Ukraine 
and the type of resistance that a reinforced Ukraine would put up. They, they both miscalculated. Uh, Israel can't do what Russia is doing. <laughs> Some, <laughs> a Russian friend of mine on VK made the comment that Russia is doing what Russia does best. It's dying one soldier yeah. at a time forever. Israel can't do that. But then, but then ultimately winning. Well, Alan, and we're basically at the end here. Okay, so, Kevin. Last, very five, best, ten seconds. Very best New Year to you. I wish you the very best of everything to you and yours in your new home. And best to you, Alan. And looking forward to being on on first Fridays of the month. That's Alan Sabrowski. We'll be back in the next hour with uh, Jeff Brown. Stick around.